Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened Podcast. I'm your host, Mikkel. And I'm Bill. You can find us at almostawakened.org. That is almostawakened.org. So what is the Almost Awakened Podcast? Well, Mikkel, having spent a ton of time diving into human development, human behavior, having deconstructed unhealthy systems and communities, and having built a vibrant, healthy community where authenticity and vulnerability matter. We want to share with you what we've learned, point you to good books, provide you with tools and resources to help you awaken, and share with you our experiences in shadow work, in recognizing our ego, and working to reduce its impact. So buckle up. Sit back as we lean into being awakened. At least, almost awakened. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm your host, Mikkel. And this is Bill. And we're just going to talk a little bit today about some questions or some comments that came up from our conversation over the last couple of weeks. Um, I was on the website, Bill, and someone made a comment, um, and it sounded like she was an older lady, and she talked about how she's lost friends and family to death, and that for her, while the experience has been sad, it hasn't been as devastating and as sad as we as we maybe felt it was um, to lose a loved one. And it, her perspective was really interesting to me just in that uh, we, we don't know when we're going to go. And so maybe instead of being afraid, we just live each moment um, and be happy and, and embrace that uncertainty. So I thought that that was really cool how she is an older adult and probably nearing the end of her life in the next 10, 20 years or maybe sooner. And that that uncertainty isn't, it doesn't bother her right now. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how we all, I mean, obviously everybody deals with death if you live long enough. And while you and I were talking about like, we don't want to live through the people around us dying, especially our significant other, you watch you watch everybody else deals with it and everybody else keeps on living and everybody else seems to still have some purpose and so maybe there's maybe when this time comes that people get you know around us uh, if they get sick and they die before we do maybe we just figure it out maybe maybe we're that resilient maybe humans are that resilient to just keep handling an increased amount of uh hurt and keep finding new purposes and new ways to move forward and to, to find joy and happiness in this life. So I was intrigued by that as well, as much as you were. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then kind of a follow-up from our conversation last weekend, where we were talking about the purpose of life. Um, I had asked you a question and 
Amanda pointed out that we never really did cover it. So let's talk about that again today before we get into what we're going to talk about today. And the question was, if there's if there's no God, then why why do we feel like there's a purpose and why do we do good things? So if there's no God, so first off, I think humans more than any other animal, any other species are programmed to make meaning. We're programmed to create purpose. We're programmed in our head to make labels and stories. And so you take God out of the picture and God was a story that came in after the beginning and and humans utilized that story, but they had to have had meaning before that. And it may not have done as well at uh, binding large groups to battle against each other and win, but it would have still given smaller groups meaning. And so without God, I don't have a problem making meaning. You don't seem to have a problem making meaning. And so I think humans, if we take those stories out, we'll just fill it in with other kinds of stories, whether it's trying to make the world a better place. So I I know a lot of people when they leave religious systems, they jump into charity work. They jump into helping some cause or, or some part of other of humanity that is downtrodden. Um, I just think we'll figure it out. We'll find new ways to do things. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the same. I think that the meaning of life or the purpose of life is such, such an individual um, experience and it's, it's different for every one of us. Um, and so Again, just kind of referring back to our last episode, if you're not sure what your purpose is, maybe spend some time thinking about what matters to you and why it's important for you to make a difference and um, start focusing on those kinds of things rather than focusing on um, maybe the things that have shifted uh, as far as maybe you're coming out of a religious system and maybe don't focus on the things that you're leaving behind, but focus on the amazing opportunities that are in front of you. Yeah. I, uh, just a little thought to add on top of that. I think sometimes too, when you are somewhere where you used to be, so, so where you and I used to be inside the system, this religious system that you and I both shared, when you're inside a system that gives you meaning, I think sometimes you struggle to say like, what would happen if I left? Would, would my life still have meaning? And, and I used to think, like, if I left this system, maybe I would just sit around and play video games all day on Sunday. Maybe I would sleep a lot more. Maybe I would uh, not figure out something else to do, and I'd be bored for those portions of my life. And I think the reality is that didn't happen. Like, the moment I left a system that gave me meaning, I figured it out. And I think most humans... We're sometimes challenged if we're going to take something away from someone, if we're going to help somebody deconstruct their system, that we got to be prepared to give them something else. And I don't think you have to. I think humans will figure it out if they're empowered to do so. And, and so leaving our system, I mean, just look at this past weekend. Uh, you and I just had a ton of fun in the last 48 hours. Uh, people figure it out. Yeah, they do. And what I was thinking about, too, while you were while you were talking is that for so long, I was used to allowing someone else to do my thinking for me. You know, there were still things that I thought about myself, but for the most part, most of my decisions and my thoughts were were directed or based on something within that religious system. And so stepping away from that has, has opened up a whole new world of thought processes and 
beliefs and and feelings and and you know just basically everything has shifted and it's been an amazing experience to be able to think on my own and um figure things out we were we were told in our religion just an example we were told for instance uh how old the earth was right there were various points where people imposed that so you think that's a small thing, like it's this little idea within your Sunday religion. And the reality is, no, like every time you saw a piece of science, a piece of scholarship on how the earth had, the earth had formed or how animals or how humans came to be, and, and you were pushed to, to lean it towards fitting it into that view that the earth is only so old and it, and it limited you, it limited your interest. Like I, I was intentionally not interested in all of this cool stuff. And the moment that lens got taken away, I took it off and I put it off to the side, I could go back into all of this cool information and look at it for what it was. And all of a sudden I was interested and being interested meant I I took more time to think about it and to learn about it and to think about its impact on the world today and and where we're going. And, And all of a sudden things like you said, it just, the moment you get control, the whole world opens up and it becomes something really cool. Yeah, super cool. Super cool. So what are we talking about today, Bill? So today we wanted to talk about swearing, which I, I like swearing, but let's. I want to ask some questions. So the first one is... Uh, first, if you've got kids, maybe don't listen to this episode around your kids unless you don't mind them hearing a lot of swearing. Yeah, so obviously, right? we're, obviously, obviously the episode is about swearing, so we're going to fucking swear. We're going to fucking swear. Okay. So with that out of the way, so get your kids. Maybe you're, you know, if your grandma is really sensitive to this stuff, she's sitting next to you. Uh, move her, you know, move her along into another turn room. Turn off the hearing aids. Yeah. Turn the TV up. Do something like that. Um, but so swearing, I like swearing. You like swearing. I do. Some people worry. So people that don't swear or don't do much of it, they worry that, that we're just going to swear all the time because swearing has value to us now. What are your thoughts on when you swear and when you don't swear and how you still have an etiquette about swearing? So I, I think it depends on where you're at and what's happening. Obviously, I'm not going to swear when I'm at my, my job around um, my boss and other people who I know don't swear or who, when I when swearing is happening, it makes them super uncomfortable. Um, but if I'm at a party or I'm out talking with friends I know and hanging out, I swear. So I think it depends on the I've setting. Heard you. You've heard me fucking swear. I've though? heard you fucking swear. Shit. Right. So you know when to do it and when not to do it. It's, it and and I'll agree with the people who don't swear. I'll agree. Like if I were to be around somebody who was just swearing to swear, they were just swearing like a sailor in whatever setting they're in, like I'll respect that they get the right to live their life how they want. I'm not going to judge them in that way, but I certainly recognize like, I don't want somebody swearing around young children. I don't, I don't want somebody being crazy and doing it all the time just for attention. Right. So you know when to do it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think about like, what's your favorite swear word? Oh, I probably fuck. And I say shit a lot as well. Yeah, fuck is a good, fuck's a good one, but why? It's a good word. Why? Because it's so, like, when something really crappy happens, 
you know, let's, let's say you're carrying in a bag of groceries or something and the bag splits open and your watermelon smashes all over the floor. That's a good time to say, fuck. <laughs> and I've done that. I've, I left a gallon of milk. I got, went grocery shopping and I get done grocery shopping. I go home to take the groceries in and we still have to run one more errand. I go pick up one of my kids or something. And as I'm taking groceries out of the car, for whatever reason, I take a gallon of milk and I set it on top of the car. So I can oh, grab other things. That's and a bad I, idea. I, turn, I don't know how it happened, but I turn around to take stuff in. And I don't know if one of my other kids took that stuff. And then I turn back around and get in the car to run this other errand. And the <laughs> gallon of milk is still on top of the car. And I get two, like, I literally get like two blocks away before it falls off. But when it falls off, like, I hear this noise off the roof of my car. I look in my rear view mirror and I see, like, splash, like, milk everywhere behind me. And, yeah, that was one of those moments where I was like, fuck. Like, seriously, this bullshit doesn't right. happen to me. This is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it it happened. So swear, swear words come in handy. And you said, let me tell you, say this too. You said not to get headsy, not to do a ton of research for this shit. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I do think certain things are really cool about swearing. And one of those is that the, the average word in the human language is six letters. The average swear word is four. And swear words have generally really hard sounds. We love to say them. So you think of a swear word, shit, fuck, dick, cunt, you know, all that kind of stuff. They, they ha- they're almost fun to say. Yeah, but why? What makes it fun to say? Hard sounds, is, I think, are it, enjoyable to the human brain. Hmm. I think, I think too, there's a little bit of enjoyment because in some instances, or I mean, for me, it was such a taboo thing for most of my life. And so now I feel a little bit rebellious and it's kind of fun for me. Yeah, there is a taboo sense to it, right? Like if the word wasn't taboo, it isn't. It isn't a swear it's word. Not a, yeah, it's well, not a swear word. Right? What makes it a swear word is it's taboo. It it violates, on some degree, our uh, acceptance and comfortability with what's being said. Which is interesting because it's somebody's somebody else's perception that has been dictated to society that we follow. It's like an arbitrary rule that, you know... Shouldn't matter, but right, we right. make it matter. And and the idea that it's taboo, because some people are deeply bothered, right? Like I had a I had a family member on Facebook put a post out. And this is what this is what initiated this conversation. I think we mentioned this in part at least last week. I had a family member who put out a Facebook post that said, Every time I hear somebody swear, their IQ drops ninety-five points and they sound so ignorant. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that meme? So it's funny to me because obviously this person has never utilized swear words um, because to me, they have, they have value, you know, again, we've talked about uh, certain situations when it's just important or it just feels good to say a swear word. Hello and welcome to Don't Be Dirty. <laughs> You don't have to be dirty. Swearing is a really important part of one's life. It would be impossible to imagine going through life without swearing and without enjoying swearing. Twenty cock grip shafting sleeves. <laughs> there, there used to be mad, silly, prissy people who used to say swearing was a sign of a poor vocabulary. It's such utter nonsense. The people I know who swear the most 
tend to have the widest vocabularies. And the kind of person who says swearing is a sign of a poor vocabulary usually have a pretty poor vocabulary themselves. Did your children actually see the programme? No, 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 no. They, no, they didn't. They didn't see it, no. But only thanks to the purest good fortune that they don't actually happen to have been born yet. Um... <laughs> the sort of twee person who thinks swearing is in any way a sign of a lack of education or of a lack of verbal interest or is just fucking lunatic. May I consult my notes, my lord? I certainly, 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 by all means, yes. <laughs> I, uh, I apprehended the accused and advised him of his rights. Uh, he replied, why don't you ram it up your pimhole, you fusking cloth prunker? <laughs> I haven't met anybody who's truly shocked at swearing. Really? They're only shocked on behalf of other people. Well, you know, that's preposterous. Uh, perhaps um, it might help if I explained that I don't give a flying toss about Mrs. Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... I beg your pardon. <laughs> they, or, or they say it's not necessary. As if that should stop one doing it. It's not necessary to have coloured socks. It's not necessary for this cushion to be here. But is anyone going to write in and say, I was shocked to see that cushion there. It really wasn't necessary. No. Things not being necessary is what makes life interesting. The little extras in life. He said, uh, skank off, you cloffing cuck. You're all a load of shoat bag fuskers. So prunk that up your prime ministering pimhole. <laughs> and what did you say to that? Uh, I told him to mind his language, my lad. Bloody well think so. So, how can you say that someone else's IQ drops when they swear? I, I just, I don't have a good answer for that. I, I think smart people sound smart regardless, right? Right. And there's an intelligence to swearing. Like, we have, all of our friends swear. And they use it at the right moment. They're not just doing it for attention. They're not doing it to just drop the word. They're, they're using it as a part of their artillery of vocabulary. Um, yeah. And swear words convey not only a, a reaction, like, like, for instance, the milk dropped. That's a horrible thing. It dropped off the back of the car and splattered. And now, now you're, you're had this thing happen that was wrong. But also there's this idea that it conveys some sort of emotion too. Like right. I, I think swear words accomplish more. Like I use them because they serve a purpose. They're the best word to use instead of some other word. Yeah. When, when, you know, the watermelon drops saying, oh, darn. That really doesn't get across the point of how upset I am yeah. with the watermelon yeah. being smashed, you yeah. know? But saying something like, oh, fuck, or holy shit, that conveys a stronger message. Yeah, and, and there's been research done that shows that people who have the largest vocabulary of swear words also have the largest vocabulary, the larger vocabularies of normal English language and actually are high, more highly intelligent. And so if people have a lot of swear words in their artillery and they use them at the right moments and they're like, again, there's an intelligence to it. It just, it is the opposite of being ignorant. They're actually at times more and displaying more intelligence. I think that it, it also displays some emotional intelligence too, because again, you're just, you're gauging the situation, you're reading other people, you're, you're understanding your own emotion and using words that are appropriate for the emotion that you're feeling in the right time. 
Yeah. Yeah, like, the words differ. As you pointed out, like, holy shit, or fuck. And even those two, those two words, which can be uh, similar in what you're trying to convey, you'll pick and choose which one for the, for the moment uh, that's at hand. Right. And here's the thing, too, Bill, that it, those words are different in different, con- like different contexts. Because you could use fuck for having sex or when you're having sex, and it means something completely different than the milk gallon falling off the top of your car. Yeah. We, we came from a system that had to switch our swear words out, right? Like there was fudge and frick and flip, and, you know, we did dang. Yeah. Um, do those words, like, some people say, like, you can just use those. I don't think so. Do those have the same effect? I don't think so, because, again, they, they're, they're not swear words. They're just other words that we've used to substitute. So I don't think they carry as much weight. And now when I say, you know, those words in place of swear words, let's say, for example, when I'm at work, I feel silly. I feel, I feel yeah, I feel like I'm not yeah, giving like, as much of myself as I want to. Right. And I feel like I'm a little kid. Just silly. Yeah. The, the substitute word is a substitute word because it's either less taboo or not taboo at all. Right. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on, is there an amount of profanity that's healthy or too unhealthy? In other words, is there an amount of swearing that is too much and, and is negative for that person? Or maybe obviously the people around them, your, your thoughts on the person personally, if there's a certain amount of swearing that goes overboard. I, I don't know. I think that it depends on, again, the situation that that person's in, um, maybe the conversation that's happening, but, and maybe if they're using every single word as a swear word, but I, that sounds pretty impossible to carry on a legitimate conversation if every single word you're saying is a swear word. But I, I don't think so. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm with you. I, first off, I think it's a, a false idea in our head. Like, yes, some people swear more right. than others. No, no doubt sure. about that. But I just, I'm around a lot of people and I can't think of one person who swears more than I think the crowd around them is comfortable. Like, I think everybody pushes, like, like people who swear, maybe push the envelope a little bit. Like, okay, I'm at work and I know that person's a little uncomfortable. So once in a great while I'm dropping an explicative, but I don't see it happening like just to piss people off. Like, I don't see, I don't see right. humans doing that. I think that's, I think that's a false idea or if it does exist, it's not in my, my view. It's not within my, uh, my awareness. Right. And it's not within the group of people that we associate with. No, no, we were just, we just had a party last night. Great, man. Great party. And everybody's sitting around and they're talking and they're telling stories and you can hear swear words from time to time. But nobody was doing it. Everybody used it again as a piece of their. It was a. It was a tool in their tool bag, and they used it at the right moments. And they used it to accentuate a story and to convey emotion or the the right seriousness to what had happened. Um, I, I just think it's a tool. I think yeah. once you once you see what swearing is and what it's not, it just becomes another tool that one can use to articulate an idea or an experience. It's funny because when I was leaving the, my religious system, you know, I, I didn't previously swear. And so stepping away from that and reevaluating pretty much everything in my life, it felt really weird to start swearing at first. Um, was it that way for you? I, even as a, as a non-religious person in my young adulthood, or I should say my, my 
growing up years from, uh, you know, and they say like we learn swear words at like four or five years old, we start to learn them. But from that age until I'm 17 years old, I'm around friends that I love and they're swearing more than me. I didn't, for whatever reason, I just didn't like swearing. And, and then I joined a religious system and I essentially am not swearing at all. And now I'm judging people who do, right? Right, right. And then I exit that system and I remember listening to a podcast or two on swearing and how useful those words are over other words in the English vocabulary and what they convey. And I suddenly realized like my judgment and my non-use of them wasn't necessary and that they, they can be useful. And I began very quickly to enjoy using them when it was appropriate. That's interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Because I was the opposite. Yeah, it just took me a little while to, to feel comfortable with saying them and to not judge myself when I said them. But now it's, it's fun. I wanted to, to pull up, our, as we told our listeners that we were going to share this topic. So our listeners had a couple of thoughts. I just wanted to share a few of these. These are kind of cool. So uh, Ryan shared a, a, a oh, man. Ryan shared a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. He said, what a pity that we cannot curse and swear in good society. Cannot the stinging dialect of the sailors be domesticated? Is it the best rhetoric? It is the best rhetoric. And for a hundred occasions, those forbidden words are the only good ones. Right? I love that. That's a really good yeah, quote. Yeah, that is awesome. And he's hitting the nail on the head, right? Like those words are the right words at the right moment. Right. And why can't they be more acceptable in, uh, in our society? Um, Tanisha says, the greatest thing about cursing to me is it's a constant reminder that I am no longer triggered by things I thought were of Satan. Ooh. Right? Like there's this religious, once she sheds that religious concept, the use of language, use of bad language is a reminder to her that she is safely out of this thing in certain ways. Right. So I thought that was cool. She says, the more I curse or don't curse based on what I want to do in the moment, the more I affirm I own my life, I have power over my own life. And the more my utter joy in existence and freedom from my former oppressive religion grows. So it's, it's wow. a way to claim back your power to it. And I sense right. that. Right. Again, you, you, you're more for me. I think that I've been more intentional about the words that I use and when I use them, there's more, it does require more intelligence because you're thinking about the words and how they fit and which one's going to be the best. And yeah, they've done, They've done studies, so there are really positive effects to swearing too, and I won't go into a ton of detail, but I just want to name a few of these. Pain relief. They did a study where people were able to keep their hands in buckets of freezing cold water for a longer amount of time if they were permitted to swear uh, during the exercise. That, I, I think, is valid because when I got my tattoo, swearing made it a little easier to keep enduring. And what does everybody do when they stub their toe? Like, same thing, right? Light, like, oh, fuck, son of a bitch. Yeah. It, our, our minds are trained, again, millions of years of evolution, to use taboo words in order to deal, I think, in part with the negative things that happen to us. Um, and, and anytime we use swear words during pain, scientific studies show that our pain is reduced uh, in terms of how we feel it. So I thought that was cool. Uh, stress yeah. relief. I know that when I swear a lot, at, like in stressful times, it helps. Mm -hmm. um, with my mom being sick, as I have really negative moments at times dealing with that, uh, there are times where I use bad language as a way to 
to kind of cope. And I can even sense as I'm swearing that my, my stress is, is decreased. Um, so I think swear words serve that purpose too. Um, processing emotion kind of along the same lines. Uh, it's a nonviolent outlet. They talked about how sometimes we use swearing to deal with conflict rather than, uh, physical violence. Um, and, and we just throw words at yeah, each other. Yeah. We throw words and, and, you know, we got to be careful. We don't want to tear people down. Right. And, and we ought to recognize like there's a uh, verbal, uh, violence that does do that. That's wrong. But, but if somebody's really wronged you, uh, and your choices are between physical violence, uh, and using language to get a point across about how pissed you are, uh, obviously, you know, at least recognize that, that swearing is a, that tool in the tool bag that maybe helps us cope with things without going too far. Yeah. Have you and Amanda used swearing in your arguments? My, so I've always swore and I use swear words in our, our, our uh, in our arguments, but not as explicatives towards her. Does that make sense? Right. Like, right. like, I'll it's, use like, I can't believe this fucking shit happens. Right. But I'm not saying fuck you. Right. Um, she's, if I can tell on her, she is a little more prone to use the words as weapons, which I actually think is kind of cool knowing that she really never used those words up until the last year or so. <laughs> so I kind of, I kind of am laughing my head a little bit sometimes, although I'm taking the argument seriously. But it's a way for her to kind of take back power. It is. Like have power in her own, in her own way. And so, yeah. Our relationship cool. was unbalanced. And her using bad language the way she does is a way to assert herself back into balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that. Um, Social bonding. I mean, we saw it last night. Swearing is a mechanism because this group swears and other groups don't. There's a a mechanism of social bonding going on. Uh, Self-expression, creativity. There there was some science behind that. Uh, More persuasive. While it wouldn't make someone vote for a candidate more likely, the, the... when you saw a candidate swearing, you you saw them as being more honest and more credible. Um, I thought that was kind of a cool little data point. That is interesting. I wonder if it's because it helps you see them be more real, and so it's connecting. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the case. Um, and I was telling you yesterday that even like so they teach they teach monkeys sign language. They teach chimpanzees. Oh my or gosh, this was so funny. And and so they teach them the word for like going to the bathroom. So like excrement. So your shit. And and the sign for shit was your to make like a fist of your knuckles and to rub your knuckles underneath your chin. And that was the word that that was the sign language for the word excrement that they taught the monkeys. And what they found really quickly was that the monkeys then, as they were interacting with each other, whenever something negative happened or they got upset, they would start doing that sign to each other. So they were essentially cussing at each other. <laughs> and then they found that if they stopped teaching the baby sign, they didn't teach the baby sign language, just, just the adults, that the adult monkeys would pass on the sign language to the kids and then they would use it and swear as well. <laughs> so it's not just humans, although it takes humans to teach them, but monkeys at times do use their sounds um, as a verbal assault towards other monkeys. And so we can, in some level, see them as also swearing. It's, it's funny because I, I'm, I'll have to research this, but I'm sure that the researchers didn't teach them context. They taught them the word and the sign for it, but when to use it and how to use it, that, that was probably the, the monkeys figuring that out. And that's kind of funny. Yeah. So they're right. Even they're having an intelligence behind when and how they use it. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. They say that uh, we swear about 0.5 to 0.7% of our vocabulary. So it's not like people it's... swear a ton. It's a small little addition to, yeah. to our vocabulary. Um, your thoughts on men versus women swearing. Like, it's still more taboo for a woman to swear in our society than for a man. What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel, do you feel that? Um, not within our group. And again, my work setting is where I'm, where I work. It's mostly women that I'm associating with and none of them swear, um, except for one person. And, um, we'll go into either her office or my office and just, just let loose, you know, because it, it is a way for us to both cope with our work environment. And it's a way for us to, it's just fun, Bill. It's fun to say like, Oh my God, you're not going to believe the shit that happened. You're not going to believe what so-and-so said, or just like as a way to get through the day. So it's interesting to me that it's more socially acceptable for men. I think it's bullshit because why can't we do what men do um, and, and not be shamed or judged for what we choose to do? Um, What do you think about that? So I thought it was interesting that you said you don't notice it all within the it, that dynamic at all within the group of friends, and I'm with you. Like we have got it. It, it really has it's gotten super to a point. balanced. Yeah, where men and women have an equal strength in their voice. That what they're measured in our group, they really are measured by what they're saying, not who's saying it. Um, and so I thought that was really cool, kind of a cool point to make. Um, I definitely see it in society still. I'm trying, and the reason I'm talking slow right this right now is I'm trying to go into my head and wonder if I am making that judgment still at various points. And I don't think I am, but I, but I do think society well, at large does favor men swearing over women. I, th- I think you do. And let me give you an example. Please. If, if Will were to say a word versus Natalie saying the same word, you just in my mind, I could see you reacting and saying like, Natalie, don't talk like that. But Will, it would like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bat an eye. So that's true. But now I'm in my head wondering if, if I think a large part of that is due to age. And I, I wonder if they were the same age, if I would still do that, it wouldn't be to the same degree. But if I would still do that, I don't even know if I would. Um, but I know well, my daughter, Emily, she's 18. She's out of the house. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're right. I think if Will were to swear and Emily were to swear, there would still be more of a twist in my stomach for my daughter swearing. Mm-hmm. So you're right. So we, now I got to get over that. Yeah. It, we've got so much attachment, I think, that sometimes we are not even aware of it. And so it's cool that we can sit with it and evaluate, okay, why do I think that? And why does that bug me? And and shift. They they. Did it, I don't have any of the info in front of me because I didn't want to, again, go into a ton of research. But they did say that people who swear, um, there's some science that shows that they're more honest. And I thought that was interesting because I think most people who don't swear, they have some arbitrary, invisible construct for why not. In other words, they have a system that says you can't do it. And, and so they choose not to swear um, intentionally. And it allows for some judgment and it allows us to, it's a hiding a piece of ourselves. Because I think you take the construct away and I think most people would swear, right? Like I think those people who don't swear generally have a religious reason for not doing so. Right. And if you take the religious reason away, they would be swearing. And so they're hiding a piece of themselves. 
And I think there may be some truth to people who swear are hiding less about themselves. And then that level of honesty might show up in other ways too. Oh, I totally agree. Just as I sit and think about, um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, your thoughts on certain words that are used, or let me say it this way, your thoughts on swear words, like some swear words we can't say, right? There's like, there's certain words that even it's a swear word. What's that? Like what? Um, well, like, oh yeah. Don't say that bill. (laughs) So you can see like some words you can't say. Right. So retarded became one of those words. Yeah, now and it's a swear word. It, it is a swear word, but it's interesting, the evolution of that word. So we right. used to take people who were uh, had a mental deficiency of some sort along those lines, and we used to call them a moron or an imbecile. That was the proper words. Mm-hmm. And then those words became derogatory, right? Now we use that word towards other people and said, you're an imbecile and you're a moron. So they come in and they give the word, they say, no, let's start applying a better word, which is retarded. So that word, be, that word trumps in the medical use or in the, the, the appropriate psychological use um, of labeling someone who has that deficiency. Instead of using moron or imbecile, the word became retarded. But then all we did as humans is go, fine, we'll just start using that word as right. a derogatory word. And so the human language, as it's evolving, the words we can use and can't use are going to shift and change. Your thoughts may be on the words you can't use the swear words you're not allowed to use and why we can't use them. And then maybe your thoughts on kind of that transformation of language. So it was interesting because we were researching last night, um, the evolution or the origin of certain words like pussy. And, um, they used to mean, like you said, it it used to mean something entirely different. And as I changed my mind, by the way, pussy is not my favorite swear word. Is it? Yeah. But (laughs) for a specific reason, it's it's probably my favorite. Yeah. They say I'm a vegetarian. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just interesting to read about like where the word originally came from, what it originally meant, and how over time it it was used in different contexts or used in different ways, and it changed the meaning almost. Um, and so. It, I, I think I agree that the words that we use are continually going to be changing and shifting, but I do think that there will be certain words that are always swear words, like fuck and shit and, you know, those words will always be swear Cocksucker. words. Cocksucker. Right. But I think that, like you pointed out, there are certain words that we've used over time that are no longer socially acceptable because they're derogatory towards a certain group of individuals. Um, and so it it... It's not okay for us to make fun of other people, um, unless you're, unless you're an idiot, and then I'm gonna make fun of you. No, I'm not. I really wouldn't. Maybe I grew up with um, my grandma adopting a lot of black kids, and they could use the N word to each other. The black kids could use the N word to each other, but nobody else. It was not okay for anybody else to use that word towards them. So it's interesting that it's acceptable within within their group, but not okay for anybody else. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I think on some level, we're, we have to respect the rules around that. And I don't know specifically sure. what, like it, we'd have to sit and have 
people of color on and have that conversation. There are rules and constructs. So I think you hit on the major point, which is when a word be, when society becomes aware that a word is socially unacceptable because it marginalizes or diminishes or makes fun of a segment of people, a, a certain group because they're a certain color skin or a certain group of people because they're, uh, they're, they're mentally deficient uh, because of some mental challenge that they were given at birth or because of an accident. Uh, and, and then when we use that word, so when we say the word retarded, for instance, we're we're pointing out like somebody, like we're saying our friend did something that was just as nonsensical as this person who has a mental disability would do. And yeah, so suddenly it becomes uh, a word that is offensive to society at large and it becomes inappropriate to use. I, I'm, I'm all for that. Like, I'm not one of these guys that's going like, nah, we should use it anyway. Like, like we right. just have to get over it. We should be, we should stop being so politically correct in this specific arena. Um, I, th- I think if a word is traumatizing to a segment of people, we ought to be careful. And there's other words that right. do that, right? Like calling a woman a right. cunt. Um, yeah, that's not okay. Isn't okay. And, and yet when someone uses that, like, because it is so not okay, it gets across a much larger message than, you know, calling somebody some other word. Like that word seems to convey like you really crossed a line there. Right. Um, Because it's so much more taboo. But yeah, I'm with you. Like when it becomes offensive to a segment of people, women, uh, people of color, people who have, uh, again, uh, challenges physically or mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other, what are your other thoughts on swearing? Is there any other, other areas of swearing that you thought would be kind of cool to go into today? Um, do you guys ever use swear words when you're having sex? Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. My wife's still a little more conservative in that area. So I'm, I'm, I'm nudging her to be more open if she wants to, to use those words and to feel safe using those words. They, they're, they're no longer, we're no longer in that religious system. She doesn't have to have those negative constructs around that kind of operation. But for me, man, it, it makes the experience better. It makes the experience feel better. It makes the, the climax, uh, more intense. Like I think swear language in the bedroom is powerful. Your thoughts? Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, That's all I'm going to say. Okay. We'll have to talk about that (laughs) another day. Um, I think we covered all the ground. Um, We've essentially gone maybe about 45 minutes. We were talking, it was interesting, just a couple of little notes on the side. We were talking about, like, we we came to this party yesterday, last night. And one of our friends was talking to another friend. And I'll, I'll just leave names off here. And they were talking about how one of them said, I got to start them over again. And the other person made it sound like they had listened to all of them twice and they were going to start them over again. It's so funny to me. Yeah. Talk about, talk about how, like, here we are doing this podcast and we knew, we knew kind of going in, like, this could be kind of cool and unique at what we're doing. And, and here we are, we're just, our friends know us. We're not experts in anything. We're just having a conversation that has a level of intelligence to it. But we're not experts. We're not scientists. We don't know any more than the rest of the folks who are listening to this stuff. And people seem to be getting a ton of value out of it. How's that, how's that affecting you? 
it's it's super cool. It makes me really happy, and I just I like I love doing this podcast. It's seriously my favorite thing to do, and I hope that it just keeps growing and expanding, and I hope that we just keep talking because, like you said, that's all that's all we're really doing. We're just kind of hashing things out in our brain, but giving words to it between two friends, um, and so it it's in some ways kind of like I don't understand it that people are listening to the episodes multiple times because I don't feel like I'm really saying anything new. But it also, again, just makes me really happy that people are finding value in it and that it's useful to them and that they're enjoying it. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's a perspective of like, oh, I'm learning new information. I think what's happening is people are sensing that you and I are displaying a level of vulnerability in a public conversation that is rare. And I think what they're learning, what they're finding useful and what they're wanting to re-listen to is what goes into allowing a space for a vulnerable public conversation. Um, that, that to me is the key or the secret to what you and I are doing here is saying the cool things that people say privately, but they don't have the balls to put out into a public, uh, public arena because of, of the shame that's ready, the shame that's just sitting there ready to be put on us. Sure. Or, or the embarrassment or the uh, judgment that comes from being vulnerable publicly. Uh, to me, this is what makes what you and I are doing um, unique. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. It's been fun to see people listening and enjoying it and sharing it and commenting. It's awesome. You were talking about uh, somebody said something at the Encircle project that you went to. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really cool. Um, so I was there with my kids. We went to help the Encircle house do some demo. And um, a guy that's here in St. George and his wife were there with their kids. And he came up to me and we were we were talking and he was like, he turns to my kids and he says, so how does it feel to have your mom be a celebrity? And my kids were like, what? Because they don't listen to the podcast. They're younger. And they had no clue what he was talking about. But it was, it was, it was really funny to have him say, to say that. And I still, I don't think it's set in that we're having that many people listen. Does that make sense? When I put on my headphones and I start talking to you, I don't think about anybody else. I just think about what we're talking about and I picture you in front of me. And so to imagine that there's people all over, because again, I had a friend tell me that her sister-in-law's friend or, or something from Oregon was listening. I don't, I don't think about any of that. Um, it's just a conversation that, that we're having, but I think it's super cool that people are listening. Yeah, and you and I have gotten to the point where it's just easy to talk to each other, just easy to to be comfortable. And and so even though on some level I recognize there's an audience out there. I've been doing podcasting for a lot of years. So I recognize we're talking to an audience. I've always there's always parts of me that are in my head going like, "Okay, stop and back up and say that word again so that the audience hears it clearly and I can edit out the way I said it just prior." Um, but because it's you, it makes it easier to be vulnerable. You you draw it out in a sense, whereas if I was having a conversation with uh, an author or uh, somebody who had some expertise in an area, it would be a much more in my head checking everything I'm saying to make sure it's appropriate and 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 
yet with you, I can be maybe a, a much deeper level of vulnerability. Almost, I think, almost equal to if you and I were having a private conversation. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I, I think, again, it. I think it's a secret to what we're doing. Um, and so, yeah. so Bill... So Bill, people have asked how they can help. People have asked how they can contribute to the podcast because they are loving it and they are finding value. And so to me, that's super, like, that, that's super inspiring and very appreciative. And I have a ton of gratitude for people who are reaching out or who have reached out and asked, how can we, how can we help this podcast? And so if you're feeling like you're getting some value from it, if you're finding that it's useful, please continue to share. We love comments and feedback and we would, we would be thrilled if you considered donating. And so how, what's the best way for people to, to do that, Bill? Yeah. So the best way to do that is to go to the website, almostawakened.org, almostawakened.org. There's a button in the top header that says uh, donate. Just click there. Uh, it works through PayPal, but you can use a, a major credit card or debit card or something to make the, the donation as well. What we'd love is if people became like monthly uh, donators, subscribers. And and if you just set up a recurring monthly donation, and, and it doesn't matter if it's five bucks or 10 bucks. Um, I know people sometimes step up. I know with other work that I've done, people have stepped up and donated $100 or $500 or $5,000 even. Um, and all of that is super appreciative. But if you're able and you're really enjoying these conversations, go to almostawaken.org, click the donate button and uh, become a recurring uh, donator today. It helps to keep this podcast going because you and I, our hope is that we do this podcast long-term and have these conversations over the next decade or two. Uh, yeah. And, if, and, and people donating to the podcast and helping us to have the resources to keep it going. Uh, nothing, I would want nothing more. Like it would be like my, my fantasy. It's my dream. Yeah. yeah. For you and I to, to not have a regular nine to five job and to be able to just put conversations like this together multiple times a week. Uh, it'd be fun. And, and I fun. think we've picked uh, a general subject matter by saying almost awakened that there's nothing off limits. Right. Like nothing off limits. Every week, something's happening to you and me. We're having conversations with people. We're listening to something. We're learning something. Uh, and, and there's essentially a limitless uh, bag of subjects and topics that we're going to be able to cover years and years and years into the future. And you also mentioned something else really cool. I am finding it interesting when people are sharing the episodes on their Facebook page. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I wonder if listeners, if you're really liking these conversations, and I know that some people aren't anywhere near the awakening process yet, and they're going to be turned off by maybe the bad language, or they're going to be turned off by us on some level talking about deconstructing religious systems. Fine. But I think you also know you have a sister-in-law, or you have an uncle, or you have a mom or a child, uh, and when I say child, adult child, who is interested or on the awakening path, nothing would express your gratitude more for what we're doing than for you to share our podcast uh, with your friends and family who also are are craving these types of conversations. I, I just, I think that's the way we reach people. Yeah. Uh, and then I also want to say too, wherever you're listening to this, iTunes or Stitcher, put a review up, leave us a five-star review and and let people know uh, what makes this podcast fun for you to listen to and what makes it different and unique from other podcasts. Uh, your reviews help the visibility of the podcast reach more people. And so that's a big thank you from you to, uh, from you towards us too, that we're gra uh, gracious for. Yeah. It was funny because Kelsey this week, um, 
her, her family is amazing. So amazing. And, um, she sent them a, a group text and was like, Hey, I'm so proud of Mikkel. She's doing this podcast. You guys should take a listen. Her sharing that with her family was a little, like it stretched me. It caused me to have a little bit of tension um, because there's still some of her family that are within a religious system. And so I know that this podcast isn't going to be, you know, a fit a hundred percent for them, but that's how we grow bill is we, we keep being vulnerable and we keep doing things that make us uncomfortable and we keep sharing and talking about things that nobody else is really talking about in the same way that we are. And so it's good. It's good for us to keep growing and stretching. Yeah. I'm, I'm nervous about people listening to some of this too. Like for instance, last week I essentially said like, there's times where I'm a really shitty dad and there's it's part hard. of right. There's part of me that goes like, um, I'm going to I'm going to have some people judge me. There's going to be somebody out there who goes, I knew it. I knew that Bill real guy. I knew it. I knew he wasn't perfect. I knew he had he had shadows in his life. I knew he was screwing it up. And the reality is, yeah. And guess what? So are you. Uh and and so yeah, it's hard and it's scary, but I also am like enjoying it. Like we're I we're know. showing the world a different kind of discourse that I think the world deeply craves moving into. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, it's my favorite thing to do. I wish that I could do this every day. Um, I do have one more question for you, Bill. Um, one of the things that we've talked about over the last, I don't know, last couple of days especially, is this idea or this relationship that we have of being best friends. And so my question is, do you feel like you can have more than one best friend? And how do you navigate that with your other friends? How do you navigate me being your best friend among all of your other friends that you've known longer than you've known me. Yeah. So that is good. And now you're pushing me into a discomfort because immediately what I'm doing is I'm going in my head to all my friends and I don't want to disrespect any of them. So I have a group of friends that I collectively just go, wow, these are the best of friends. These are my best friends. They're like the uh, they're, I, they're all amazing. Yeah, I'm hesitating now because I also know that there are people who are one layer away from that. They get to be part of some of this activity, and but they're not fully in, and some of them have been deeply hurt by that. And but it's and, not. No, it's not, not intentional. Like everybody gets to pick. Well, it. go ahead. And you're you're not disrespecting them, but I think that there there has to be. We have to be okay with finding people who fit best with us, knowing that we're not going to fit best with everyone. And I say that knowing that that if I were on the outside looking in, I'm sure that I would find some hurt and I would feel some, you know, some type of lack. But at the same time, as we continue to awaken and as we continue to grow, we have to do that. We have to. Yeah. And to take that a step further. So, as I think about people who are one layer away, they are at parties and functions and get togethers, but, but maybe they're not at as many of them. And they're not, they're not the people I'm speaking of when I speak of like this inner group that gets together on a regular basis. And, and so they're poked and they're hurt. And there's a lot, and again, I don't mean this negatively. We all feel it. There's a level of FOMO. There's a level of our ego. We have some jealousy. We have some hurt. And like, we all feel that. And, and I, it even happens in our group. Like sometimes our group breaks off and they go out and four of them will go do dinner or six of them will get together and have a game night at someone's house or eight of them will get together and go to somebody's pool and swim. And so not everybody gets invited to everything. 
And there's times where I'm included and I'm having a blast and I love it. And there's times where I'm excluded and I'm hurt and, and I'm poked and I feel FOMO and I wonder why wasn't I included. And But you're hitting on it, which is we all have the right and it's normal for yeah. us to get along better with some people. Like it doesn't say anything about how good somebody is or right. right? It doesn't say anything about their, their kindness or their compassion. Right. Their value as a human being. No, that's never going to diminish. No, but our personalities mesh really good with some people. Our personalities mesh well with others. Our personalities don't mesh with others still. And we have a right to put ourselves to encourage spaces where we get to be around the people that we get along with the best. Um, but it is hard. Like, even as we're talking about this, I know that people, some people listening are going to be poked. Um, and, and I know that even within our group, like when one of us is excluded from something that others of us are doing, there's a poke. I don't, I don't think we can avoid it. I think the best thing we can do is just to talk healthy about it. And, and accept it. So going back to your original question, like I have a group of best friends. And then within that group of best friends, I have friends who are even slightly better friends and, and refer to you as my best friend. And I know on some level, again, that even pokes people within the group, but man, I just, I, I look at our group and I'm, I'm just the level of goodness. Like these human beings are the best human beings on the planet and I, it hurts to use language and to talk about topics that are going to hurt them or poke them. But again, if we're going to be vulnerable, like we, we all have a right to have a best friend and we all have a right to associate with those people that we mesh with the best. And they have a right to also determine whether they associate with us. Like maybe, right. maybe I want to marry Meg Ryan. Right. Maybe when I was 25 years old, I looked at Meg Ryan and I said like, wow, like that, that, you know, but Meg Ryan would look at me and go like, no way, dude, you're, I'm out of your league. <laughs> like we don't get to pick people and automatically have that person pick us back. It, it, man, it's, it's, a, it's, right. whew, it's hard. That's, it's hard. That's and, tough and like human said, it, interaction. Yeah. And it, it does poke. It does poke. Um, this is an interesting subject. This is a hard subject to talk about. Why? Yeah, because the humans that I associate with slightly less than the humans I associate with slightly more, I don't have a drop of anything negative to say about them. And yet this conversation hurts them. They, they are as good and wholesome and compassionate and kind uh, as anyone that I choose to associate with more closely. And, and yet I'm unintentionally causing some pain through the conversation. But again, we're, we're in the realm of normal human behavior and interaction. We're doing it the healthiest way you can do it. I, I don't know any other way to do it. So if, if someone's feeling poked, I would encourage them to reach out. And like you said, have a healthy conversation. Let's figure out um, what some healthy boundaries are and, and what, what you're experiencing and let's talk through it because like you said there's it's impossible for everyone to get along with with everyone um there there are certain people that we uh, when i say me we i'm saying me there's there's certain people that i mesh with better 
personality-wise, thought-wise, belief-wise. And it's not that I, I don't want to associate with anybody who's different from me, because I do. I love diversity, and I love learning about other people. Um, but it it's, I, I don't know, I'm just at this point in my life where it has to be, I have to give myself permission to be okay, either not being involved in things that my friends are being involved in, you know, because like you said, there's there's been times when we've been excluded or not invited and, and sitting with that, we have to turn inward and give ourselves value and we have to turn inward and give ourselves self-love knowing that there are going to be times when we don't mesh with certain people and it has nothing to do again with, with who we are um, and it says nothing about us as as good people. It's just that we're going to fit at different times in different places. Because even within our friend group, I feel like relationships have evolved and changed. Yeah. When I first went to adult parties and this, you know, this larger crowd is there. And as I'm talking to people, like I, I appreciated the entire room. Like these are good humans. That wasn't the issue. What the issue was as people talked about their interest as people shared how conservative or how liberal they want to be in their behaviors on the other side of the system that this entire community has deconstructed. I, I looked at certain people as I'm, I'm more like them. I, I could get along easier with them. I like, I like their persona. I like their, uh, they're interested in the same things I am. They like sports and I like sports or, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe, Maybe I, I'm less attracted because their political stance is way different than mine. So it's just a bit of a turnoff. Maybe they are wanting to live out their life, again, way too conservative for me or way too liberal for me. Um, I, I don't have a problem with them living out their lives the way they do. That's their choice. And I, I stand behind them and support them in that. It's just I want to enjoy certain kinds of spaces when I'm in control of that space. And so I want people that I'm going to have the most common interest and common flow of personality so that so that the space is enjo- is enjoyable to me. Right. And I think I think it's interesting Bill because there are certain people that like their vibe there's not anything concrete that I can put my finger on and say, you know, their political views are way different than mine and so I I don't want to associate with them. Sometimes it's just listening to my intuition and and their their vibe is not it doesn't feel comfortable to me it feels unsafe for whatever reason and and again maybe i don't have a reason but i'm i i'm going to listen to what my intuition says um and so it for me a lot of times it's a matter of who i feel most comfortable with yeah and we've we've had experiences where you your gut is wrong there's, there's times where we've leaned into relationships and then go like, ah, oh, okay, that's really not working. That really isn't what I thought it was. And and then there's other times where I like, there is a, there's two people in our group. I, again, I won't name names. There's two people in our group. And when I first met them, I thought, ah, ah, they're, I think they're too conservative. I think they're too conservative for me. And, and I, right now I know I know other people in our group are going to be going like, oh, I think he's thinking about us. Let me just say, you're, you're, if you're thinking it's you, you're probably wrong. You're probably wrong. Um, if, but these people, I thought, like, they're too conservative. And, and then some time went by, and I thought, no, I think this is the right fit. I think these people would fit really well. 
And it was me and Kelsey, huh? No, it wasn't. And and no, it wasn't. I think <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I was thinking this kind of stuff that early because you were. It was the it was the Bloxums, it was us, and then it was you, and and so we kind of were the we we call ourselves the original six. Um, we were kind of the the first six to say like, hey, let's hang out. We like each other, and then we slowly kind of started adding other people. But when we added these other two, it was a perfect fit. Like they just they belong and. And, and I've had lots of people, by the way, I've had lots of people complain. I've had people who don't live near us tell me, suggest to me that I should talk less about our friend group. And again, I don't mean any offense. Talk less about our friend group because it hurts them. They don't have this where they're at. Um, one of the things I hope happens, Mikkel, in us doing this podcast is we start to give people tools to start building their own community. It really wasn't that hard once we leaned into it, was it? No, it wasn't. And it's been it's been an amazing. I was talking to someone last night about how in my religious system, I never had friendships like this. Never. I didn't know how to make friends or have friends. And so as as I've left and navigated this, this has been the best part of my life. Finding friends and finding people to talk to. And and again, going back to, you know, we got together with some of our friends on Friday night and and had a conversation about um we all have different pieces of our personalities or we all have um, different ways that we handle things. And it's amazing to find a group of people that you can depend on for certain things. Like I, I know I could call anyone from our group and if I was having a hard day, they would listen to me, they would comfort me, they would help me. And, you know, just going back to when Kelsey and I were landscaping our yard, we had this huge pile of landscaping rock in the front and we needed it wheelbarrowed and shoveled into the backyard. And and we couldn't do it by ourselves. We had tried and it was so labor intensive and it was taking so much time that we called our group of friends and you guys showed up and brought kids. Yeah. You brought your kids to help. That and was fun. Like, it's amazing to find meaningful friendships. And so I, I guess I would just tell people, like, start looking. It's there. And if if you're poked by something, let's talk about it. Yeah, I went to a conference, uh, I think it was just last week. And at this conference, I had an hour and a half session where I was, I was the featured speaker. And I talked about building a community of based on intimacy and connectedness, based on vulnerability and authenticity. And I spoke for about 45 minutes and then I opened it up to Q&A and you could see people really enjoyed the conversation. There were like four or five people in the room making notes on paper. People are craving vulnerability. People are craving connection. People are craving connection based on a level of intimacy and vulnerability that is unique. Um, and, And you're right. Like, I think maybe sometime soon I'll pick the topic, this topic of how to build an intimate community and we can talk about like things to do and how to make that work. Part of it is you got to lean, lean into it. You got to start having events and going to events. You got to put yourself out there and then you start sensing like who, who are you compatible with? Who do you get along with the best? Who's the safest? Who seems to be looking like they want vulnerability uh, and connection as well? And then you just start to put those people in the same room. So last night we had a hodgepodge of people. They were, but they were people that again, you feel like, okay, they're, this is going to, this room's going to look really good together. They're going to, they're going to balance each other out and have good conversations. And it, I thought it went exactly how I'd wanted it to go. Um, it was ideal. 
And, and so again, for people who are poked or hurt, you don't have a tribe, you don't have a group, or again, I, I say this so, so hesitantly gently. and gently, even the people who are one layer away, like keep leaning in um, and, and don't be afraid to build your own communities too. Um, I, again, I, I'm, I'm nervous about this conversation. I, I think, I think we can't have it without doing some hurt. The hurt isn't intentional, but we do want to have conversations around this kind of stuff and, and hope that people can get something from it. So, uh, risky, but, but I'm glad we had it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just know that like, for me, I love, I love all the people that I get to interact with. I love all the people that get to that that choose to have me in their space and I it it means so much. Um so I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the people that are in my life and that uh have helped me continue to be vulnerable and that choose to connect with me and who lean in even when I'm shitty. Yeah, and I think listeners, if you want to pipe in, if you've got ideas or thoughts around healthier ways to navigate as you build communities and as you have get togethers and who who's there all the time, who's there sometimes, who's there never. And as that tension just naturally exists in that space, if you've got advice uh, for how to, to be as soft and as gentle with that, but also being free to be human in the way that you are, uh, we'd love feedback. I, I think it's one of the fun things about this podcast too, is watching people give feedback to the things that we're talking about. We, yeah. We'd love to love to hear from you as listeners about anything that we said in today's podcast. Uh, Mikkel, any we kind of... We kind of covered a lot. Yeah, we, I think we did. Any kind of concluding thoughts from you? Anything else that you think uh, we need to hit on? No, I just think we totally fucking rocked this shit today. Yeah, I love the conversation. And so don't be afraid to swear. Don't be afraid to build a community. And don't be hurt when as people don't mesh perfectly. And then maybe they mesh better with others like... Again, that's just, that's the human journey. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.